0: From India's largest newsroom, I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast. Depending on what you believe, Valentine's Day offers different opportunities. You can profess love to someone, you can acknowledge someone's love or you can deny two people the chance to celebrate their love in public. The history of Valentine's Day is a bit murky. The festival is believed to have its origins in the Roman festival of Lupercalia, which celebrated the arrival of spring and involved all kinds of revelry. The Catholic Church then linked it with Saint Valentine, but it's not even very certain which martyr is actually linked to the festival. Author and mythologist Devdutt Patnaik says that while ancient poetry did speak of Valentine's and professing love, it really became a big deal thanks to the greeting card industry.
1: See, festivals keep changing over time, you know, with, with as time progresses and people change and ideas change, festivals change. So uh, this is a new phenomenon. It starts really with the card industry popularizing. They needed events, right? Um, anybody who is in the retail space knows that shopping uh, rises whenever there is a festival. And I think somewhere along the line, 14th February as a day for love, uh, was there in the Euro American construct for a long time and uh, it sort of became popular through this card industry. 20 years ago, I think it really picked up when people started noticing it and then it became a really big thing. Young people had no festival of love, if you think about it. There was no festival for young people celebrating something which hormones, you know, propel. <laughs> this is an acknowledgement of hormonal <laughs> spikes. In India
0: over the years, there have been multiple attempts to make the festival our own and cut out Valentine. We've tried to make it about parents. We've also tried to make it about cows this year. But nothing's really worked. And though we don't have a day to acknowledge what Devdutt calls hormonal spikes, he does point out that we do have festivals that acknowledge love and desire in our lives.
1: Love songs have always been part of Bollywood and Hollywood and all those songs that we hear. Uh, you know, when you read bhajans also, they are all really love songs. Love songs to a lover, unrequited love, viraha bhakti. So bhakti songs, even the most bhakti songs are the the famous Geet Govind that are sung by Tamil old aunties is really a love song between Radha and Krishna. But love is part of every culture. Celebration of love was very important part of Indian culture. Um, Especially in the spring. So the remnants of those ancient rituals are vasanta panchami, uh, Shivratri, Holi. So, all these three festivals in a way are a reminder of old f- festivals of love that existed. Sharadpurnim after the rains is also a festival of Ram, when you think of Radha and Krishna doing the Rasalila. So, Indians have had festivals of love, not as clean cut as a Valentine's Day, which is obviously a capitalist outcome, but it's the new 21st century format.
0: Given it's the week associated with Valentine's Day, My colleague Jairaj Singh and I asked Devdar about how Indian mythology views love and desire. We discuss why we have a God of desire who's never worshipped, how love and desire used to be celebrated, queer love stories that are part of our ancient texts and how our ancient texts guide us on dealing with desire. Like you said, there is no festival, especially in India, which sort of has that uh, celebration of hormonal spike in a sense where we just want to show our love for someone but is there any candidate that comes close to something like that in Indian culture
1: see we had a complete community which whose whole job was to focus on love and desire you know so we had the courtesans of India the courtesans of India they were in the love trade Their job was to talk about desire, love, 24 by 7. That's all they did. They created the music. They created the arts. They created all what we call rasa, bhava, bhoga. And they provided it as services in the marketplace. It was a commercial thing. You know, love was commerce. So there were women who would sing songs for you, dance for you provide you clothes the latest fashions would come from them the latest just like today's bollywood stars are really the sources from where we get songs we get dance we get fashion. they talk about rituals food all those wedding rituals really coming from bollywood sangeet ceremony didn't exist across india it was popularized by bollywood so in the same way in the old days the courtesans used to do it vasant otsava was a festival of the courtesans. So, Madanotsava, uh, it's called, the festival of the love god. How more specific can you be? Madanotsava, Kamotsava, the festival of desire, the festival of love, the festival of spring. I mean, I don't think you can get more specific than that. And you have references to this in Kalidasa's poetry, where the kings would invite the beautiful women in the country, and mostly courtesans, to sing and dance in his garden. They used to consume alcohol. And it said that their laughter, when they laughed, when they laughed and when they embraced trees, the trees would bloom and burst into flowers. So these were obviously fertility symbols and uh, ceremonies. The only visual reference to it is a film called uh, uh, Utsav. Uh, Shashi Kapoor made this film called Utsav, which was directed by Girish Karnad. And Rekha has acted in it. And there there is an entire scene where they show the Vasam Totsav. And um, it's really Basant Panchami. So when nowadays we talk of Basant Panchami in a very uh, poetry festivals and we talk about poets and Amir Khusro wearing orange and saffron robes, which is Basanti Rang. And we think of it as some intellectual poetry, but really these were erotic poetries that were sung and entertainment and you were meant to seduce. But you know, that language of the courtesan is forgotten. We don't remember that language of the courtesan anymore. It's been wiped out in the last 200 years. Do
2: we also have some cautionary tales of what love can and can't do and how you should sort of temper around with this feeling which comes and then sort of (laughs) renders the world asunder, you know?
1: So let us look at love as another emotion, hunger. You are hungry and you want something to eat, right? And sometimes we all know that in food, like in love, Supply creates demand. So if I keep a box of chocolates in front of you and chips in front of you and all those evil things full of fat and sugar, you will be hungry suddenly, although you have just had a meal. Uh, Love at one level. I mean, although we use the word love, if you look at it from a very biological point of view, it's yearning, it's desire, it's coming from the lower part of your brain. It's very where you don't have control over it and your body takes over. And we have rituals of fasting, we have rituals of feasting, we have rituals of denying food, of eating particular kind of things and therefore we are regulating our dietary habits. We don't do that for love, right? But love is also the same way. We don't talk about love and regulate it. There is good love, there is bad love, there is toxic love. Love can cause uh, indigestion, love can cause poisoning. But love can also be nourishing, love can also be empowering Uh, just as you can give food and receive food you can give love and receive love we don't talk about love at all first of all we don't differentiate between love and physical hormonal needs of children you know by the age of 14 15 you can be put in jail if um, you have sex at a particular age bar you can be called a rapist even if it's a consensual sex between two young children and to know that that's just sex and nothing more than sex that kind of maturity doesn't exist that it's a bodily reaction these two kids came together they had sex differentiating sex from love from relationship we don't talk about these things the word which is used in Sanskrit and then in Urdu madahosha madan. the word madan Uh, Comes from, you know, when an elephant, what is Masti? Masti comes from the word the elephant which is sexually aroused. Masht. So, when a sexually aroused elephant is the most dangerous animal in the world, it cannot be controlled. So, masti is di- pleasure which cannot be controlled. You're obsessed with pleasure. So, that's the description that the ancients use. Look at the visualization. They're visualizing a crazy elephant. And you, these are just your children are crazy elephants right now. They're in must. And if you're trying to restrain them, they will break the boundaries, they will break down, and you get in their path, they will they hurt you because they want what they want at that time. They cannot control themselves. Their passions take over. There are stories of Bhakti in this, you know, about um, one of the poet saints. One day, he loved his wife so much and obviously desired his wife. Love being a metaphor here. Is obsessed with his wife and his wife wants a break from him. So she goes to her mother's house on the other side of the river and he can't stay one night without her and therefore runs to the river but discovers the river is in spate and no boatman is willing to take him across. So he jumps in the water even though he doesn't know how to swim. Catches hold of a log of wood, crosses to the other side, finds his wife's house. She lives about two stories up in the room, doesn't want to wake up anybody. So he climbs a rope and gets into a room and he's like, by the time he comes, he's drenched. His clothes are, uh, you know... You know, taken away by the river so he is naked and his wife is horrified by this and the villagers think that some naked man is entering this woman's house they beat him up and then they realize he is the son-in-law of the village and then they start laughing and they abuse him and they say don't you what a shameless man can't leave his wife alone for a single night his wife also shuts the door on his face she's embarrassed and then he looks at the rope which he had used to climb her house and realizes it's a poisonous serpent and he realizes that the log of wood that he had used to cross the river was the corpse. And that is Madahosh, that is madana, And this is a married man misbehaving, losing all sense of control. Of course, at the end of the story, we're told he is shaken out of his desire and he finds God. And of course, these mystical stories will tell you a higher form of love. But it's a conversation on love. You find this in Jain traditions. Jiva Kachintamani is a story of a hero who has adventures. And it's a serial love story. He keeps falling in love with women and marrying them. You know, imagine Jainism, which is a monastic order, has poetry and stories about lovers. And it's very erotic Sanskrit poetry. And say that, oh, in the end, they find that this is great, like food, it'll never end, it's an insatiable appetite. And one day they sort of are content or discover the futility of pursuit of this love and they pull back and they go to the spiritual path. But they go through this process. It's like a child. You go through the process of pleasure and discovering the pleasure is not everything. Then, even you know, but we do have
0: this god of desire the form of Kama, like you said, um, and we know of him now purely because of the Kama Sutra text that exists. So there's a direct association. But he's never worshipped, right? We don't have a day of observance of Kama or like an equivalent of Valentine's Day. Why? Why do we like? Why is he shut away in a sense?
1: So it's interesting that you see Kama becomes popular because Shiva burns him alive and he becomes, Shiva is called Kamantaka, the destroyer of Kama. And Shiva is Bhasma, you know, uh, he covers himself with the ash of Kama. So in many ways, Shiva represents the ascetic traditions. But Shiva's wife, who enchants him and in a way seduces him and makes him a householder again and makes him part of the world, is called Kamakshi or Kamakyao which is in uh, Assam said she's called Kamakya, in South India she's called Kamakshi, whose eyes are laden with desire. And it is this triangle which sort of explains the evolution of love in India. One talks about love which is purely desire driven, it's all about sensuality, it's all about, uh, you know, uh, consumption which is rejected by the monastic order Kamantaka says this is going to drive you mad it's going to give you suffer it's going to break your heart it's a terrible thing to have and he destroys it and then Kamakshi comes along and gets Kaman Taka to become Kameshwar. Kameshwar is another name of Shiva the lord of love and he becomes the lord of love and here it is now a far more matured relationship it's not an erotic teenage love it's almost as if growing up the gods grow up from Kama through Kaman Taka to Kameshwar. In a way, it is, you know, youthful exuberance through heartbreak and cynicism to a matured relationship. And so we today worship Kameshwar and Kameshwari in festivals like Holi in festivals like, um, you know, Brahmot Savam, where Vishnu is getting married, uh, Shivaratri, where Shiva is getting married, and here marriage becomes important because it's about commitment, it is about uh, coming together, not just of the body, well, well, that is important. It is also the mind, it is the property, it is the social things that are coming together. So you see this growing up of the gods captured in these stories. There are love stories. All Hindu temples are designed around marriage of gods. Meenakshi Madurai Temple, the goddess Sundar, Soma Rishwara. Look, look at the erotic way he's described. As beautiful as the moon comes every night to meet his wife, who is Meenakshi of Madurai, and they sit in this room. And this is a ritual that you can participate in. He sit, The room is covered with mirrors on every side. It's a mirror room. There is a, there is a jhula, there is a swing on which the couple will spend the whole night. In the morning, she'll go back to being the queen and he'll go back to being the queen consort. So, this ritual exists in uh, Chidambaram Temple. When you go to uh, Odisha, you will have these temples of conversations between Lakshmi and Jagannath. Uh, so, you have these festivals around India. Dodo Purnima is holy. Holi is when the couple sits on a swing and enjoys themselves. Now, look at the movement of the swing. There's something highly erotic about it. There's this gentle waving this way and that way. Like, you know, this idea, eroticism is part of the rituals. The difference between the karma and Kamakshi is, karma thinks only about his pleasure, while Kamakshi thinks of the other person's pleasure. And therefore, the maturity is when you don't seek love, but when you give love and the mutuality of it. So there is also philosophical evolution of the idea. And what is ritually celebrated in India today is a, You know, it's Hinduism version two. Hinduism version one was perhaps what is called the Vedic rituals were were lacked a particular, um, you know, uh, maturity because they were very self-centric. While the later Hinduism point two, um, where you find Kamakshi emerging, uh, the female gods, female takes over, there is a kind of an empathy where the other person becomes important. That's what I call by maturity. Look at the first love story of India is of Shiva's marriage, Sati who is the daughter of a Brahmin priest, wants to marry the man of her choice. Father opposes it, husband doesn't understand it and Sati is torn between Shiva, her husband who is indifferent and her father who wants to control her, Daksha Prajapati and she in the end commits suicide. She jumps in the fire and burns herself. This is the oldest Puranic love story related to Shiva and Shiva is also considered to be the author of Kama Sutra. So you find these passionate stories associated with Shiva. It's just that we don't think like that, right? Right now we want to see Shiva with this six-pack ab standing with the Trishul, very angry. The romantic Krishna we don't want to talk about. We don't want to talk. Even iskon wants to talk about Krishna in um, you know Mahabharata, Gita. I mean, I'm I'm surprised how. Something like Iskon prefers the uh, Bhagavad Gita to the Bhagavad Puran. Bhagavad Puran, where it is all about love and desire, they want to play down the erotic element, and they like the violent element. Somewhere along the line, violence is somehow seen as superior to eroticism. And you, you can see the power of these narratives even in organizations which claim that they are, dis, you know, inspired by Bhagavad Puran because they somehow like control. And this control is what love destroys. Love doesn't care for control. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was about breaking the fetish of, you know, fetter of control. Not the fetish of control, but it is a fetish in a way where this desire to control is what Bhakti is tries to break in its love format that I will not be controlled, but I will not be hurtful either. And I think love where I want to be free. And that's, you know, the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu dancing with his hands up, which is not a favoured image. We prefer Krishna with his Sudarshan Chakra. And that sells a lot about society where how it is going.
2: Devdat, you've written a Shikhandi, a much celebrated book on LGBTQ plus stories in Hinduism. Can you tell us a little bit about a queer love story tradition?
1: Well, uh, the most famous queer love story is not in the book Shikhandi, but has been narrated or at least alluded to by the RSS chief Mohan Bhagwat. Even I hesitated to read a queer story into this, which is in the Mahabharat about Hansa and Dimbaka. But the story of uh, uh, Jarasandha, the king of uh, uh, Magadha, who is very upset because his son-in-law, Kansa, has been killed by Krishna. And therefore, he attacks Mathura with his army. And his army is led by these two men called Hansa and Dimbak, who are invincible. And the only way to kill them is through chal or through trickery. And therefore, Krishna spreads the rumor that Hans has been killed. And when the rumor that Hans has been killed reaches Dimbak, he can't bear to live. And he therefore runs to the river Yamuna and kills himself. When the news of Dimbug drowning himself in the Yamuna reaches Hansa, he cannot bear to live and he runs to the Yamuna and kills himself. Why would two army generals want to kill themselves? Can't bear to live without the other. I think this is a great love story. But I didn't want to say it because, you know, when I published the book Shikhandi, I said, oh, my God, if I write this story then people say you're reading queer stories into these narratives, because this is a very clearly a sacred band of Thebes story, very Indo-Greek. There is this lovers as warriors, a very ancient idea found in cultures like the Greek culture. Like Achilles and uh, Patroclus, if I'm not... Yes, yes, yes. So Achilles and Patroclus and this whole idea of lovers fighting together where each one fights better to so that the lover is not ashamed. And you try fight to protect each other so it's defensive and you fight to impress each other which is offensive. That was the logic of this... Spartan warrior bands but uh, I saw this Hansen and Dimbak story and I said hey this sounds like that but I was very hesitating you know because but then you see most ironically love touches even people who are anti-love and um, so it's, it's love is very powerful
2: but tell us the other stories that you sort of wrote about
1: So those, you know, the funny thing about uh, Indian queer stories is that they don't talk much about homosexuality as much as they talk about transgender, about shifting of genders. So you have stories of men falling in love with women, but then one day their gender changes and they become women and they fall in love with men. You have these stories of kings who walk into a forest and they become women and then they fall in love with men. So it's almost as if your body is deciding who you'll fall in love with so you have the story of ira who is a prince who walks into a forest becomes a woman and falls in love with the mercury um, and uh, you know buddha and then the chandravansha is created out of that union this is the kind of story that you have uh, in the ashikandi uh, is a woman who transforms into a man so that he can become a prince and a husband so there's this gender transformation plays a very important role in shikhandi uh, uh, Stories like Hans and Dimbak and stories that are in in Jatak tales about older monks falling sick when the younger monk goes away and their health recovers when the younger monk comes back. Now, these are love stories, even in monastic orders. Or there are stories of a monk who is a naga, falls in love with him passionately and follows him everywhere and he's not sure how to deal with it, uh, because this guy is obsessed, this naga is obsessed with him. So he goes and tells his friends, what do I do with it? And the friends get jealous that he is someone who gives him attention. Remember, they're monks. So he says, oh, just ask the naga for the jewel on his head, and he'll run away. And uh, true enough, the monk goes to the naga and says, if you love me, give me the jewel on your head, the naga money. And the naga doesn't want to give the jewel on the head, and runs away. But the story is, after he runs away and doesn't come back, the naga loses all interest in life. Because he realizes that the attention which he got was nourishing him, making him feel important, making him feel good. That goes away and his heart breaks. And he's unable to do his practice as he used to before. I read somewhere that, um, that we have also a great
2: tradition of stories on infidelity. And they feature in the Panchatantra.
1: Is that true? Even with Krishna, you have a lot of stories where He's adultery so extramarital relationships are a very important part of Indian storytelling especially Sanskrit storytelling in the uh, Gita Govinda it is taken to a divine level where Radha is supposed to be married to another man and takes the risk of coming at night and dancing dance being a metaphor for love making I mean that depends on who you want to talk to but they asks what kind of love is honest swakia that is marrying someone who you are married to or bonded to or parakya, marrying someone who is outside and you know, there's this huge debate which takes place in 17th century India in a, you know where people sit together and wonder which kind of love is really true. And they say parakia, love which is outside the boundaries of conventions is true love because you're taking risk to fall in love with someone. It is not bound by marriage, law, custom. So it's not socially sanctioned. If it's socially sanctioned, there's no risk. And therefore, while that is love and that is domestic, it doesn't have the power of a transgressive love. But transgressive love is there in all stories. So, for example, Parshuram's mother, Renuka, falls in love with... A, for a moment, she has a desire for another man. Who And for because of that, her husband, Jamad Agni, says her head should be cut off. So, you have this very violent story being told. Jain literature, Buddhist literature is full of courtesans and adulteresses. You know, there is the story of a woman who has, um, you know, affairs outside marriage, and the father in law tries to tell the husband. But the husband is so bhola and innocent that she's tricked. All the time by this adulteress. In fact, there's an entire n- series of stories known as Shuka Shaptati. 70 stories of a parrot. And the story, the premise, it's like, you know, the same structure as Vikram and Vetal and Arabian Nights. Um, and the story is this, that the merchant goes on an expedition across the sea and tells his old friend that, you know, my wife without me will be very lonely and restless. And to satisfy her de- desires, she might go to other men. Please stop her. So it's it's a very interesting story. And then the parrot um, tells, every time the wife in the evening is restless and she's bored and she wants to have someone in her life, she gets ready to go out. And then the parrot stops her saying, but you know what happened to that woman who went out to have sex with someone? And then the whole night he tells the story so that in the morning she's too tired to go out and that's how 70 stories are told and by 70 stories the husband comes back and they're very happy that the parrot by telling her all kind of pornographic stories has kept her in place so it's a very tongue in cheek story of course sanskrit literature all our sanskrit experts will never refer to this sanskrit manual right for them sanskrit is only the vedas it's not Shukha shaptati or um, there is also um, Gaha shaptati which is a prakrit work which is full of eroticism where mothers get happy When they see bite marks on the inner thighs of their daughters. And they're happy that their daughters are having fun. So these are 200 CE written in the Maharashtra belt, Maharashtra Karnataka belt. You know, the oldest erotic literature we find in Malayalam is written by Brahmins in praise of courtesans. But of course, that will not be translated, we would rather translate, you know, sacred literature. That's how society has always been but a true adventurer will find all the erotic stories he wants if he studies Sanskrit.
0: Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunai Marathe, and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas, and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, Email us at toipodcast at timesinternet.in